the Gentiles would listen again. One of those last week, we saw them before the, the Sadducees, before the Sanhedrin, uh, sort of giving their reason for doing what they're doing. And it's all in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who they killed, who's risen again and who lives to this day. And today, uh, in, in interesting and I think as always supernatural providence, we are in the passage that we are in today, with the, the, including the current events that are going on in our country right now. Now, last week we saw um, the, uh, the disciples, Peter and John, jailed, berated, threatened, uh, told never to speak again of what they've been speaking of, especially this resurrection which the Sadducees, these religious leaders, did not believe in. And then they sent them home. And that's where we pick up the account this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. If you grab the Bible underneath the seat and you're, you're still trying to find the passage, it's page 1081. 1081, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. I want to begin by reading verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. You know, life happens, doesn't it? And it was happening to Peter and John at a rapid pace. Peter and John go back to their people and they tell them what's going on. I mean, sometimes, and really many times, what other people do and the decisions that other people make directly affects us. It, it, it affects how we live and the decisions that we make. And as we think about this first verse uh, this morning, our first point in your notes is the experiences we experience in life. Wow, that's brilliant, right? It's creative. Uh, it was all I could come up with. But it's true. We all experience things in our life every day, some good, some bad. We all make decisions that, that change the experiences that we have, some good, some bad. This was especially true, I think, as we were growing up. But it's amazing how it can spill over into adulthood, can't it? You know, um, we say things sometimes to other people that affects them. Um, sometimes we think about what we say, sometimes we just say it and it's too late. It's already out there, we can't get it back. And, and unfortunately, the, the one thing that has magnified that more than anything else in our current culture today is social media. I mean, how many of us have said something about someone on social media, but we didn't do, use names or anything, and we just... Typed it out, hit enter, and send, and out it, what, out it went. And then, and then, you know, we may have left some specific details out as well, but people are just going to fill those in. They'll, they'll really know what's going on, right? Or how many of us have had somebody do that about us? And you read a post, or maybe it's not even about you, but it could be about you. So you assume it's about you. I mean, seriously, it happens, right? It happens. We experience things in life when other people call us out. We've been burnt by someone else's rant. Now, these experiences can also be what people do and say in our presence. If you've ever had anybody um, use a harsh word with you, if you've ever felt about this tall with someone, and you've been treated with contempt, that is an experience that we experience in life. Maybe it was their actions. Maybe... Um, Maybe they, they engaged in or were in an illicit relationship with someone else, whether you were married or not, and affected you. Maybe, um, maybe they slighted you in a business deal somehow. 
They mistreated you. They treated you dishonestly. Maybe it, it, it can also be just simply lack of attention. These experiences in life can also be ones that weren't illicitly committed against us by the person at all. They didn't intentionally um, act out to hurt us specifically. It was just a selfish, selfish action of their own that caused it. And the range is immeasurable, I think. Family members that are struggling with something, finances, psychological things, loss of a job, death of someone, the, the severe sickness of someone, or the lack of a diagnosis. Maybe we're searching and searching and we're worrying and we're anxious. And, and this experience that we're experiencing is, is really bringing us down. Things that happen to, to them or to us directly. I mean, we face experiences in life every day, and some of them can be life-threatening. And, and, and the reason why I want us to sort of think this way is what, what is our response to those things? What is your response to those things in your life? And that's essentially where Peter and John find themselves. I mean, their lives... I would bet that, that the Sadducees threatened their lives, said, well, if you don't stop, if you don't shut up about this Jesus Christ and his resurrection, you'll regret it. And we know that later, the disciples, I wouldn't say they regret it, but they certainly endured hardship and pain and suffering and many death. But we all experience experiences in life, don't we? And, we? and we respond to those things. The question we must ask ourselves is, what are we going to do now? As you sit here and you think about hard things, good things, whatever it might be, the experiences that we experience in life, and we ask ourselves, what are we going to do now? What's the answer to that? How do we answer that question? How are we going to respond to this experience? And we need to know that the response that we give is going to not just influence us, it's going to influence a lot of people around us. It's going to influence the lives of our children, the life of our spouse, spouse, the life of our family and our church and our community. Now, Jack had been a compulsive worker for years. And to the point it was ruining his life. So he went and he saw a psychologist who recommended a specialist who could help him. His friend Bob noticed uh, a dramatic change in his life. And he's like, what happened, man? Nothing seems to bother you anymore. You don't seem to be worried about anything. And the guy said, I hired a professional worrier and I haven't had a worry since. Bob replied, that must be expensive. To which his friend, to which Jack replied, he charges $5,000 a month. $5,000? How in the world can you afford to pay him? exclaimed Bob. I don't know, Jack said. That's his problem. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one way to handle worries, I suppose. Hire a professional worrier, but it doesn't really work. Um, what now? When we have worries and anxiety. Let's look at what the early church did in response to the news that, the, that, that Peter and John brought back. Essentially, Peter and John are saying, hey, look, it's going to get tough. You know, we're, we're proclaiming the truth, the good news of the gospel. We're living our lives the way that we are, and um, this is the opposition that we're facing. And here is their response, in verse, starting in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
And then we get privy to what they cried out. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations raise and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should, should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Essentially, they became amazing first responders, and we can too. That's, that's number, point number two. We can all be first responders. We can all be first responders. As I think about this, I think, you know, as I read that, even, even here this morning as I read it again, they weren't, did, did, they, did they ask for protection? I don't see them asking for protection. I don't, I don't, I, I see them increasing their fervent prayers for boldness and, and faith in proclaiming the good news of the gospel in the circumstances and in the culture that they're in. John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, said this about prayer. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. You know, I'd encourage you to commit that to memory if you haven't already. Because it's true. Um, We need to be sure that we get the order of what he said correct. And our first response is prayer. It's prayer. Not trying to fix it on our own until we are exasperated enough and then we get on our knees and we pray. No, we get on our knees immediately and we pray. Now that can come against opposition in our culture today. We saw it last week. I cannot believe the things that were coming out of people's mouths. I just, I just don't get it. People that are saying, well, um, one, and I didn't, I didn't, write this down or take a picture of it or quote it, but essentially what they said was, enough of the praying and our thoughts and prayers are with you. Take some action. Do something about it. And I would say, you know what? Pray first. And then we'll take action. Because when we do, when we go to the Lord in prayer first, we get wisdom and we get strength and we get courage and we get peace about what we need to do next. Instead of flying out there and doing things all on our own and in on our own wisdom, we seek the wisdom of the Lord first. So our first response, what is it? It's to pray. We see this over and over and over in the Bible. Pray, then act. Pray, then act. Jesus prayed first. And it's a habit or a way of living that we can learn and employ in our everyday experiences too. Now, sometimes you might think, okay, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, I'm praying. It seems like God doesn't even hear what I say. Because I'm getting nothing. I don't get any sort of sense or confirmation that he hears me or whatever. So, so a question that we might need to ask, or maybe you've asked this before and I'd like to answer it this morning, is does God hear all of our prayers? 
Does God hear all of our prayers? And of course, in our minds, we know that God sees, hears, and knows everything. There isn't anything that slips by on this planet that God doesn't know. God hears us every time we cry out to him. Nothing slips by his knowledge and doesn't happen without his permission. In fact, um, the book of Job kind of bears witness to this. You know, I mean, if, if we didn't know that God was having a conversation with Satan, we would think that these are all tragic, unbelievable things that are happening in the life of Job, right? And they are. He loses all of his family members. He loses all of his property. He loses his health. Why? Because God said, Satan, you can take it from him, but just don't take his life. Now, I have often said, oh, I pray God is not having that conversation with Satan about me. And I don't know if that's a sign of lack of faith or what it is. I guess I just want an easier life than Job had. Um, But you know what? Even in the midst of that, because many of us are going to experience that, we're going to experience loss of a friend or a loved one. We might lose everything. What is our response going to be? How are we going to respond to that? Prayer first. Prayer first. First, now, nothing escapes his attention. So why then do we see in, in the Bible, and I'm going to read you some verses that are, that are kind of curious, why then do we see in the Bible God say he would not listen to the people's cries for help? He says this in Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Is it that God didn't hear them? No, he heard them. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. And in this particular case, God did not respond because his judgment had already been proclaimed on them. He'd already decided what he's going to do with the people. And in essence, their cries for help were too little, too late. In fact, um, God even told Jeremiah not to pray for them. In Jeremiah 15, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. God had made his decision. It wasn't that he didn't hear them. It's that he was moving in a different direction. I pray that as a nation, as the United States of America, we are not there. That it's not too little too late. That when we get on our knees and we pray, pray for the restoration of our nation. And when we get on our knees and we pray that people would turn from their wicked ways and that, and that they would believe and that they would know that, that Jesus was who he said he is, that, that God's not going to say, I hear, but I'm not listening. My judgment has been started. We need to pray. You know, it's also possible that we sabotage our own prayers. You know, the Bible mentions several attitudes and actions that can short-circuit our prayers. I didn't give you spaces for these in your notes. Just maybe flip it over and, and write them on the back. Lots of space on the back of your, your note sheet there. One of the ways in which we can short-circuit our own prayers, and I'm going to give biblical support for each one of those, is sin. 
It's sin. This one seems obvious that, that, that maybe that might put a, a fracture in our relationship with God, um, but we simply don't realize what the effects are. Psalm 66, 18 says this. Um, David says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. God takes sin seriously, and we need to recognize that. Again, John Bunyan also said concerning sin and prayer, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Sometimes I get John and Paul mixed up, but um, I've got him correct so far this morning. Um, The second thing that can cause... um, God to, that, that can hinder our prayers is, is disobedience. God says, I want you to do this. We know it. We understand it. But we say, eh, you know what? I, I want to do my own thing. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Proverbs 28.9 says this, If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. I don't want to hear it. They're a rebellious child. If we are willfully living in sin and disobedience to God, why would we think he would listen to us? I mean, we, we think, well, but God is loving and merciful and, and gracious and forgiving. Yes, he is, but he's also just. And just as it would be unconscionable for us as parents to just let our kids live willy-nilly and do whatever they want without any sort of boundaries, essentially what that says is, I don't really, I, I don't really love you. I don't care about how you turn out or who you grow up to be, just whatever. We wouldn't make that decision as a loving parent, and neither would God. He wants what's best for us because he loves us. Sin and disobedience can get in the way. The Bible also calls out hypocrisy and insincerity. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. It's, they're all action and no belief. It's all on the outside. It's... it's It must be for other reasons. Maybe it's checking boxes off of a list or whatever. Our attitudes matter. Genuineness is important. Sincerity matters. Uh, Malachi 1, 7 through 9, by offering... Here's the thing. God said, you know, bring me the best lamb. Unblemished, etc., etc., etc. Here's how you should should make offerings. And this is what they were doing. By offering defiled food on my altar... But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible by your actions. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? You see, they were, they were skimping on their sacrifices. Because in some ways, they're like, well, I'm not going to use that animal anyway. So, you know, let's just slip it in and, and follow the appearances of the law um, God is saying, try, try, offering a, try offering these to the governor and see how that goes for you. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty, saying and acting that we're obedient and faithful followers when we're not, is really only fooling ourselves, I think, and maybe a few people that are around us. 
not even human authorities would accept what these people are trying to offer God, Malachi says. Uh, Wrong motives is another thing that can short-circuit our prayers. In Matthew, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Matthew 6, 5. They're out for the publicity. Um, Let's, hey, let's videotape this really great prayer and post it on YouTube and see how many hits we get. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. It's, It's like... The first century version of that. And God says, that popularity that you get when you pray that way, that's your reward. That's what you get. You know, what are our motives for prayer? Are we seeing people with God's eyes? Are our hearts breaking for people, for those who don't know Christ? Or are they simply self-centered, selfish, focused prayers? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Are we praying selfish prayers? James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Um, lack of faith is another one. It can affect our prayers. James 1.6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Even marital problems affect our prayers. Um, 1 Peter 3.7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And as we seek to be first responders, as prayer becomes our first response to situations, let's simply review these things that can, that can hinder our prayers and, and get on our knees before the Lord. And as David cried out, if there be any wickedness in me, help me to see that, Father, so I can get that clear between us. And then we, then we continue on. Now, finally, what sometimes appears to be no answer to prayer, may actually be a delayed answer. Uh, We see this in Daniel chapter uh, 10, verses 12 and 13. This is an angel speaking here. Um, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Spiritual battle can be a reason why there's a delay in, in an answer. Other times, we... Uh, God may deny our request in order to give us something better. We're asking for this thing, but God knows, no, I have this, I have this wonderful thing over here. Just wait. Just wait. You know, he, he was that way with, uh, with Abraham. Abraham, your children are going to be what? More numerous than the sands of the earth. And, and, and Abraham, just, it was just taking too much time. I mean, I'm that way. I'm impatient about lots of things. Woof, he took things in his own hands and it, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, have you ever had the experience of praying for something and you just didn't receive a clear answer? And you wondered if God even heard you? Um, it's natural for us to wonder at first. Satan can cause us to doubt. 
Uh, We wonder if God's ignoring our prayers or if he didn't hear us at all, or maybe we just interpret God's silence as a no answer. Well, he must be saying no because he's not saying anything at all. The good news is that the Bible doesn't leave us wondering about this. The Bible um, passages that I just gave us tell us how we can uh, work through our life and be sure that there aren't hindrances in the way. That God is, is hearing us and that he's going to act on our behalf. And when we do approach God earnestly, we can rest confidently on the promise in James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. That's an experience that was added. That, that's an experience that was added to their memories that day. Look at verse 31 in our passage. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. He answered their prayer. They weren't praying selfishly. They were continuing to pray in faith for for the mission that God had given them. And he responded with power. And it's the only way that the believers in that day and us in our day can live the way that, that God wants us to is if that's our place. You, you look at the rest of the passage, uh, chapter 4, 32 through 37. Um, it's kind of a repeat of a couple weeks ago. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything. It was with great power and, and on and on. The reason they could live this way is because they were praying. And they were, they were relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to get them through each day, and it's the only way that we can live in the world that we live in today as well. With all that's going around, on around us, how are we going to respond? How are you going to respond? What are we going to do? The answer that I have for us this morning is that we practice prayer. That we practice prayer. That we, we, we look at the early church, even with difficult daily experiences and circumstances, they were living generous lives. They were generous with their possessions. They were generous with their time. They were, they were generous in, in unity, with their trust for one another, with, with forgiveness. And they were generously proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the resurrection, the good news that the perfect Lamb of God came, was crucified, was buried, rose again, and is right now today standing at the right hand of the Father for you and for me and for all those that we know. Uh, I think I find this interesting. Early African converts to Christianity were in, earnest and regular in private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket, in the woods, where he would pour out his heart to God. Over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others. They would kindly remind the negligent one, Brother, the grass grows on your path. My question to us this morning, is the grass growing on your path? Is the grass growing on our path? Or are we practicing prayer? Let me challenge us today 
that maybe the reason we're not practicing prayer is because of those things that, of that, that one list, their sin or disobedience or something. Let's get that right. Let, let's, let's surrender. Let's repent to the Lord that, that we may be righteous before him that, that when we pray, we begin to see God moving in a powerful way. And let's remember this week that we can do more than pray after we've prayed, but we can't do more than pray until we have prayed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your amazing grace. Oh God, thank you for your patience. And Father, I pray that your patience hasn't run out on our nation. And I pray that, that as a church, as, as followers of Jesus and those who are searching uh, for the truth about you, we, that we would get on our knees, that we would repent, that we would confess, that you would forgive us, and that we would pray, that we would pray. Now, Father, we lift up our voices with this final song as we seek to go into the world and be apostles and teachers and those who are filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news of the gospel in a post-Christian age, just as the disciples did in a pre-Christian age. In Jesus' name, amen.